0: I was born woman, off my knees I will stand for my liberation, sisters rise again. I was born woman, off my knees I will stand for my
1: rise
0: again
1: Greetings and welcome to the 61st edition podcast of Women's Liberation Radio News for this Thursday, May the 6th, 2021. I'm April No, WLRN's lazy Canadian gardener and proud supporter and contributor to WLRN, the original Turf, turf Radio. 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 This month, we celebrate and look back on five years of co-creating and collaborating in WLRN studios every month. Without fail, WLRN brings you a world news segment, original women's music, compelling radical feminist commentary, and provocative interviews with top feminists from around the world. And we've been doing it for five years. So cheers to your ears and mine as we celebrate and take a look back at the start of it all in 2016. We'll hear an excerpt from WLRN's very first podcast from five years ago to get started before diving into clips of favorite interviews and moments over the years. Before we jump in, I'm going to read off a list of all of our volunteers and collective members that have passed through the doors of WLRN studios to add their voices to the choir. Thank you to Elizabeth McEwen, Thistle Pedersen, Sekhmet Shiaul, Julia Beck, Jenna DeCordo, the singer-songwriter who composed and performed our new WLRN theme music, DJ Phoenix, Sarah, Jen Ziggin, Katina Hyman, the tech goddess who helped us create our first website, Niall Pierce, Shante, Natasha Petrov, who helped immensely with the WLRN-sponsored WinCom. Gathering of 2018 in Chicago. Demianti, our youngest member at the age of 19 when she was with us. Robin Long, Donna Vidalesova, Casey Walker, Donnie Whitaker, Emily Ann Lorenzen, Mare Sofana, and finally, thank you, Anonymous, who pays careful attention to the new WLRN website. To make sure we are safe from cyber attacks i've been with the collective now for just over two and a half years our show this month is rounded off by the totally excellent radical feminist commentary of our longtime member Sekmet Shiawa so stay tuned for the whole thing it's packed today with gems from the past and Sekmet's powerful words to propel us forward Throughout today's program, we will air WLRN listener shoutouts from some well-known feminist colleagues, but also from others who you may not know, but who now feel courageous enough to put their voices on the air, something many of us were afraid to do back in 2016. The team at WLRN produces a monthly radio broadcast to break the sound barrier women are blocked by under the status quo rule of men. This blocking of women's discourse we see in all sectors of society, be the conservative, liberal, mainstream, progressive, or radical. The thread that runs through all of American politics, except for separatist feminism, is male dominance and entitlement in all spheres. To start off today's edition, here's Emily Ann Lorenzen with Women's News from Around the Globe for this Thursday, May the 6th, 2021.
2: According to a new study by Victim Focus, 51% of women in the UK have woken up to their male partner having sex with them or performing sexual acts on them while they were asleep. And 99.7% of women have been repeatedly subjected to some form of violence, including sexual assault, harassment, and rape. The study surveyed over 22,000 women about violence committed against them. Most of the attacks are never reported, and the murder of Sarah Everard has shed new light on women's complicated and often toxic relationship with the police and with men. Ecuador's highest court decriminalized abortion in cases of rape. Ombudsman Freddy Carrion said on Twitter that the ruling quote was possible thanks to the women and feminist groups who have consistently battled for a more fair and egalitarian society, unquote. Ecuador is a very conservative Catholic country where a woman can go to prison for three years for having an abortion. The procedure is now only legal if a woman's life or health is at risk or if the woman was raped. In Ecuador, six girls have an abortion every day and about 2,500 girls under the age of 14 give birth each year. Millions of women worldwide have been disproportionately affected by job losses and have borne the brunt of the consequences of childcare and education shutdowns. Globally, women lost at least $800 billion in income last year, according to a new report from Oxfam International. This is more than the combined gross domestic products of 98 countries. The executive director of Oxfam International said, quote, economic fallout from the COVID-19 pandemic is having a harsher impact on women who are disproportionately represented in sectors offering low wages, few benefits, and the least secure jobs, unquote. The organization says that this is a conservative estimate and that it does not include wages lost by millions of women working in the informal economy, such as domestic workers, market vendors, and garment workers. Violence against women has risen in Nigeria since the start of the pandemic. In Lagos State, there was a 40% increase in rape and domestic and sexual violence in 2020. In June of 2020, the Nigerian president declared a nationwide state of emergency after multiple high-profile attacks, including the gang rape of a 12-year-old girl. According to a poll, 47% of Nigerians blamed rape on indecent dressing, and less than half believed offenders should be punished. Despite these overwhelming struggles, activists have launched centers to support women, and an app called Helpio that helps victims find organizations who help them fight for their rights and who provide them legal, medical, and financial support. In Kyrgyzstan, the practice of bride kidnapping is widespread and culturally accepted. In 2013, the crime was made punishable with up to seven years in prison, but the practice has not lessened. Bride kidnapping or dates back to the 17th century, and men use this custom as an excuse to abduct women and to force them into marriage. A 27-year-old woman named Azada was abducted and murdered by a stalker who she met online, but she did not want to continue the relationship. The police did not take her family's concerns seriously, leaving the family to find out about her murder on Instagram. Then the police contacted them six days later. The family is seeking justice and has hired a lawyer. Protests took place in Bishkek following the news and the head of the Bishkek police and 11 officers were dismissed. A judge in South Korea threw out the case against the government of Japan by Korean women who were forced into sexual slavery during World War II. The women were given the euphemism comfort women during the war. An earlier verdict from a different judge ordered the Japanese government to pay $89,400 each to 12 Korean women. The judge argued that quote-unquote diplomatic clashes would ensue if exceptions are made in international law regarding state sovereignty. The earlier case's judge reasoned that the Japanese government should be subject to Korean jurisdiction because the women's experience involved quote, anti-humanity acts systematically planned and perpetrated by the Japanese Empire, unquote. Japan insists that all issues that arose from its colonial rule of South Korea from 1910 to 1945, settled by the 1965 treaty between the two nations, and that the issue of comfort women was settled by the 2015 agreement where Japan apologized and gave $8.3 million to a foundation offering medical, nursing, and other services to women. In Connecticut, a federal judge dismissed a lawsuit that sought to prevent males from competing in female high school sports. Four girls came forward in February 2020 after competing against two boys identifying as females. The girls claimed that they had been deprived of championship competitions. For example, in 2019, one of the plaintiffs, Chelsea Mitchell, arguably would have won the state championship in the girls' 55-meter indoor track competition if two males had not taken first and second place, while Chelsea had placed third. Since all the students involved in the case have graduated, the judge ruled that there was no issue left to resolve. The girls are represented by Alliance Defending Freedom, and they plan to appeal this decision. In my hometown of Sacramento, California, female correctional officers in Folsom Prison are forced to strip search trans-identified male inmates alone. The Transgender Respect, Agency, and Dignity Act requires that searches be conducted according to the inmate's gender identity and the search policy that is associated with their identity. So, female correctional officers must treat trans-identified males as they would women. According to a correctional officer, who goes by the name Annie, for anonymity, said, quote, They've already said we will be written up, all the way up to termination. Your order to go strip out this inmate in a secure room. It takes your power away. Where are the boundaries? Boundaries are gone, unquote. An internal email obtained by a local news station revealed that the women who refused to strip-search trans-identified males will be written up for insubordination. Can I Get a Witness is organizing a series of pediatric gender clinic protests throughout 2021 or until these clinics are shut down. From a recent email received by WLRN, the organizers state, quote, We're up against Goliath, but we can keep the pressure on. Can I Get a Witness is self-financed, but motivated by your participation, energy, and drive to try and do whatever can be done to wake up the world. One city at a time, one state at a time, one country at a time. Can I Get a Witness has artwork. We'll work with you on your presentation in your own town and make time for providing safety measures over Zoom sessions to help you step out of your comfort zone and understand your rights as a protester. For more information, go to the Can I Get a Witness Voices Facebook page at Can I Get a Witness Voices. That concludes WLRN's World News segment for Thursday, May 6, 2021. Share your news, stories, announcements, and tips with us by emailing info at com, and let us know what's going on.
3: I'm Lara Polanco-Potter coming at you from Southern Appalachia to wish WLRN Radio a very, very happy 5th
4: anniversary.
3: Hey sisters, y'all are the finest
0: thing around When I forget I'm not alone You help me remember With the sound We're the women Would not be silenced. Gender hurts, it's harmful to girls. Gender hurts, it's painful for the women of the world. The tyranny of male rule. My every word Gender hurts It's harmful So don't come a knocking On my front door saying I'm your oppressor And you are poor No, don't come a She is your own Cause women exist Separate from you Leave us alone Leave us alone Alone. Yes, gender hurts It's harmful to girls Gender hurts It's painful for the women of the world The tyranny of male rule Is worse than absurd Gender hurts It's harmful How will we find our way out of this? What is the antidote for the patriarchal kiss? How will we find what needs to be shown? And then after that, where is home? Tell me, where is my home? gender hurts it's harmful to girls
5: gender hurts
0: it's painful for the women of the world the tyranny of male rule is worse than absurd gender hurts it's harmful
6: Thistle with her song Michigan aka Gender Hurts. Thistle wrote that song for the occasion of interviewing Sheila Jeffries live on community radio station WORT 89.9 FM in 2014. After being barred participation at that radio station due to complaints of transphobia and trans misogyny, Thistle founded WLRN, and the collective voted to use this classic song as our ending theme music for our podcast each month. Next up, we'll hear excerpts from our very first show. The WLRN collective had decided to be cautious and not say the word trans in our first broadcast. You will hear mention of gender identity, however, and savvy listeners will completely feel the turfy vibe in this interview segment WLRN member Elizabeth McEwen does with Elizabeth Hungerford. The title of our first show is Women's Reproductive Freedom and the Pervy Patel Case. Pardon the sound quality, we still had not recruited Jenna DeCorto, our sound engineer and producer to the team, and we were still figuring out how to create good recordings back in 2016. Enjoy this excerpt from our very first show.
7: And now to conclude this first broadcast of WLRN, we will interview Elizabeth Hungerford, feminist writer and non-practicing attorney living in Massachusetts. Her work is primarily in the subject of gender identity with an interest in the difference between sex and gender. Laws such as feticide uniquely impact female-bodied people, so we're happy to have her here today to hear her input. Hi Elizabeth. Hi Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us.
8: Oh, thank you for having me on.
7: So I wanted to ask you, could you start by just talking a little bit about the history of feticide as a charge in terms of its origin and intended application? Absolutely. Um,
8: feticide laws are not a new phenomenon. They have been on the books in many states uh, here in the U.S. for decades, but the original intent of the statutes was to protect pregnant women and their unborn fetuses from third-party actors. Um, so, for example, if you had a uh, domestic violence perpetrated against a pregnant woman, the fetus laws would allow for prosecution of harm to both the mother and the fetus. They're starting to be applied in a way that was not originally intended.
7: Okay, so how can feticide be proven for a conviction?
8: Well, it depends on the age of the fetus, and that's something that can be difficult to determine. For example, in the case of Purvi Patel, there was no way to determine when uh, she first became pregnant and the age of the fetus was contested. So this is a place where law and medicine don't exactly match.
7: Okay, so last year, Purvi Patel was convicted of feticide for what would have possibly been a miscarriage, and then a few years before that, Bebe Shui tried to kill herself with rat poison while pregnant and was also charged with feticide. Both of these took place in the state of Indiana, and now just recently we have the new law in that state against aborting a fetus with certain abnormalities. Do you have any insight into what is going on with reproductive justice in Indiana, or is Indiana unique in its law and the way it's prosecuted?
8: The, uh, those are great questions. The Indiana law is not
7: unique in the way that it is written, and
8: that's part of what I think is so scary about the situation. The difference in the Patel and the Shui case is the way that the law was utilized to prosecute women themselves rather than the third-party actors. So in, in Patel's case, the, so the, the charges that the prosecutor chose to bring um, were unique and the way that the case was put through the trial was also unique. Um, so for example, one of the issues in the Patel case was whether her fetus was born alive or not. And in Patel's case, so they're trying to determine was, was the fetus alive or not at the time that she um, allegedly miscarried. And they the judge Allowed some particular evidence to come before the jury that is called the float test. And just briefly, they take the fetus's body and surgically remove the lungs and place them in water. If the lungs float, it is assumed that the fetus took at least one breath. Now, this is a test that has been discredited for almost a hundred years, and there are Other ways that air can get into a fetus's lungs, not to mention that just because the fetus took a breath does not mean that it was a sustainable life. And this evidence was potentially pivotal to the outcome of the case. Allowing the judge's decision to allow that information to come before the jury was necessary for the conviction.
7: Is there potentially something strategic about the state of Indiana targeting women of color or these particular women of color?
8: Um, Well, you are uh, certainly not alone in asking that question. I think it is certainly suspicious. I think that strategically what Indiana is doing is targeting more vulnerable women who may not have access to health care or legal resources Um, in order to establish a precedent that they can then apply to all women and I know in uh, Bebe Shui's case she did not have access to legal representation at the time and she ended up spending I think about a year in jail because of that we can see that establishing that precedent has many down many you know potentially damaging downstream consequences for other women in the state and possibly across the country some of these laws have been used in other cases, such as women who have delayed cesarean surgery. Um, I believe there's was the case of a woman who falling, fell down the stairs and was prosecuted under a, uh, a feticide side law. So basically any woman who cannot guarantee a positive or a quote unquote normal outcome to her pregnancy could be vulnerable to prosecution under these laws.
7: Right, and that is exactly one of my concerns. So, I mean, actually, that does lead into my next question for you, which is what are the legal implications women face when potential natural miscarriage or even self-induced abortion can be criminalized as if it were homicide? I think you kind of touched on that there, but is there anything else that you could, like, elaborate on with that?
8: Well, some people call it the criminalization of pregnancy, or that you could be prosecuted for murder if you had... God forbid, a miscarriage. That is just
7: terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about, you know, a world where a woman has a miscarriage or a stillbirth or or is proven to have induced her own abortion at home. But with any of these being brought in, like, to trial or having doctors um, give their determinations where we're using these really archaic means that apparently aren't scientifically accurate or useful is really alarming because a lot of women just they have no control over these but now they're being held completely accountable that's to me that's very frightening
5: hey, a big shout out from the bay area of california on what's considered by some of us to be the wasted coast of california um, i can't believe that wlrn is having a fifth anniversary it's really amazing i think that the Content is so original and it's such a subversive feminist outlet. It really reflects the basic grassroots intentions of the women's movement. You know, I really believe that without culture, we have nothing to back politically. And if we divorce ourselves from politics, we have no culture. The content that's produced by WLRN helps us sustain us because it combines these concepts and recognizes how we thrive as a larger community and now that larger community has really been something that even though this is produced and everything in in the United States it has universal appeal and I think that you all try between your videos and podcasts and the um, your WordPress site this content is just it's so rich and for any women who have missed any parts of it, it's so easy to go back and get into your archives and find just gems. So thank you so much. It has helped to keep me sane and keep me hopeful. This is Elizabeth Miller,
8: founder of the Chicago Feminist Salon and contributing editor of Spinning and Weaving, Radical Feminism for the 21st Century. WLRN is a treasure and resource for budding and seasoned feminists alike. I treasure listening to the podcast every month and hearing women's voices and news from around the world. It's a monthly ritual for me to make myself a cup of tea, tune in to WLRN and tune out the noise of the male stream. Thanks for five years of fantastic feminist content, WLRN. Here's to cheering you on to bringing us more broadcasts in the future. And now
6: for a public service announcement the WLRN Schwag Show.
2: Hey, 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 did you hear? WLRN is celebrating five years of not missing one single month of broadcasting our totally excellent radical feminist radio show.
6: Yeah, of course, I heard. It's reverberating throughout the femisphere. femisphere. Did you hear that we have a bunch of new turfy merch on hand for the occasion? We've got pint glasses designed by WLRN volunteer Casey Walker, new keychains with our classic logo designed by Celine Michaels, and new square stickers perfect for your laptop designed by Natasha
2: Petrov. Yeah, I know. I got my fancy WLRN keychain jingling with my keys as we speak. It's so awesome. I love how the silver laser engraved logo pops on the shiny black background.
6: Right on, Emily. I just got my five-year anniversary pint glass in the mail along with a personal thank you card from Thistle and the cool poster Natasha designed. It was easy. I just went to www.womensliberationradionews.com and clicked on the anniversary cake icon in the upper right-hand corner, and voila, all of the instructions
2: for ordering WLRN merch were there. Yep. So excited to celebrate with you and all of our sisters who make up the collective and tune in to our show. So order your WLRN swag today at womensliberationradionews.com. Next, we turn to an excerpt of an interview WLRN volunteer Sarah did with Kara Dansky in November of 2016, right before we play an excerpt of an interview Kara did with Tucker Carlson on April 30th in 2021 on Fox News. We're so happy to see where Kara has gone since 2016 and that she is now speaking out in the mainstream. To hear the full interview WLO-run volunteer Sarah did with Kara Dansky in 2016, go to womensliberationradionews.com and type Kara Dansky into the search bar. What do you think
9: about the Obama administration's decision to circumvent the normal process, which was laid out in the Administrative Procedure Act, for adopting a legislative rule, which would have included notice and the opportunity to make comments?
10: Yeah, I mean, so Congress promulgated Title IX back in 1972, and the administration has the authority to promulgate regulations that will interpret how the law is applied. And generally speaking, when the administration wants to change its regulations, it has to go through a variety of procedures that the APA, I'm abbreviating, the law that you just described. APA sets out a set of rules that the administration has to go through when it wants to change its regulations. And this guidance flagrantly violates those rules. It just changed them without any notice and comment, without any input from the public, without any consideration. And frankly, without any evidence that the notion that gender identity is somehow part of sex has any basis in fact or reality.
9: Well said. Um, So I'm going to ask you some questions from a devil's advocate, maybe trans advocate perspective. Um, So the other side of this debate claims that it is fear of trans people that is driving this lawsuit and that there is nothing to fear and that women should just get used to sharing our sex-segregated spaces with men who feel that they are women. Um, Do do women have something real to fear about having males in their sex-segregated spaces or is this fear a result of bigotry?
10: There's so much there. Um, (laughs) So women have a lot to fear for men. On average, over 1,600 women are murdered by men in the United States every year. It's estimated that a man or a boy sexually assaults or rapes a girl or a woman every minute in the United States. So there really can be no question that women and girls have every reason to be concerned about boys and men in their spaces, our spaces. And then I guess I would also ask, you know, I, I would turn the question around and ask about what do you mean by trans? Because the goalposts change constantly in terms of what trans means. And we have to keep going back to the fact that the guidance does mention trans people, but what it effectively does is say anybody can access any facility on the basis of self-declared gender identity. And what I think the trans activists people aren't acknowledging is that the guidance allows any man to say, I'm a woman today and go into a woman's space on that basis. I mean, it really does. It just says anyone can access any facility on the basis of gender identity. Self-declared. Right. So I think the trans activism community is really not being fair here in failing to acknowledge that there are going to be men who are simply going to say, I'm a woman today.
9: So going off that, are there any cases you can point to that have already happened of males who identify as women or trans women harming actual women in bathrooms?
10: Constant. Many. Many. There's a case in Chicago that happened, I think, earlier this year, possibly at the end of last year, where a male went into a bathroom and choked an eight-year-old girl to the point of unconsciousness. Her mother was outside, luckily, heard her screams and alerted the authorities, and they were able to get there in time to save her from death. Uh, There was a male in 2013 who identified as transgender, in Toronto who gained access to a women's shelter who violently sexually assaulted at least two women. And there are countless examples of males going into, female, into women's bathrooms and filming women going to the bathroom. I and mean, it was literally countless. Like, I don't, I, I mean, I could give you examples, but there are so many. Um, there, there's also, uh, oh, there's also the, um, the University of Toronto experimented with, quote, unquote, gender neutral showers. And there were a couple of male students who filmed female students naked in the shower. Then the university rethought its policy. And, like, we have to be real about this. When men film women in the shower or using the bathroom, that goes up on the Internet instantly.
9: Right. That's really important. That's before a guy gets
10: arrested. So a woman has already been filmed naked in the shower or used in the bathroom. I'm trying to <laughs> use respectful language, but like peeing. You know? Right. That's viral
9: already. Right, and there's a market for that type of pornography. So Yes, absolutely. Yes.
10: Before he's arrested, if he's arrested. And so the damage is already done to her.
9: Yeah. So I know you can only speak to how this is within your own life, but among other attorneys and among other activists, do you find that there is a sense of free debate around the validity of gender identity as a concept?
10: Among my professional colleagues?
9: Yeah, people you know, uh, people you work with?
10: Well, no. I mean, the answer is I don't know and no. I don't speak about this stuff for the most part outside my radical feminist circles because it's extremely controversial. People get very upset. And it brings up really interesting and challenging dynamics I don't talk about this issue in my legal circles because most of my professional legal colleagues are focused on criminal justice and racial justice reform, so this issue doesn't come up so much. In my social circles, I get in big trouble when I mention this stuff. Um, Yeah.
9: Yeah, I think a lot of women can relate to that. So this is a related question. Sometimes feminists who start out agreeing with trans ideology and eventually develop concerns about the movement, sometimes they call their moments of awakening their peak trans moment or moments. Did you ever have a moment or series of moments where you realized that there were big holes, so to speak, in the trans ideology?
10: Yeah, for the longest time, I just thought that, I mean, I've been a feminist for pretty much my whole life. I was raised to be a feminist by my mother. And for a long time, I thought what was going on was people breaking down gender barriers. And I was really excited about that. And so I really embraced the whole trans thing because I thought it was about breaking down gender. And then I had a conversation with a radical feminist friend of mine who really educated me. And she gave it to me straight. And as soon as I heard what she was saying... It became very clear to me, and then I pulled down a bunch of radical feminist literature on my bookshelf that I hadn't read in a long time, and I spent a couple days reading it, and it was just like light bulbs went off. And I was like, oh, yeah, this thing is not a thing. This is not helping abolish gender, which is what I am about and what I think will ultimately heal all of humanity.
9: I love that. I also loved your talk at Left Forum this year, which was in New York City, and I would encourage any women listening to type in gender identity under male supremacy in the search bar on YouTube, and you can watch the full Radical Feminist Left Forum 2016 workshop, which Kara was a part of. And, Kara, can you tell me a little bit about what it was like articulating those feminist critiques of trans politics in such a pro-gender identity space?
10: Well, we were nervous. We were all nervous. I was nervous. And we didn't know what to expect. And we all gave our talk. And I think we were all surprised that we didn't get much backlash, very pleasantly surprised. We didn't get much backlash. And most of the Q&A consisted of people either expressing comments that agreed with what we were saying or asking some really intelligent questions and and sort of wanting to know more and exploring and challenging, and those were all welcome. There was one young woman who accused us of being transphobic, but she wasn't at all abusive or, uh, like, it, it was fine. You know, she just said she found our comments to be transphobic, and we asked her why, and she didn't really have much of an articulation of why she thought we were being transphobic. She just expressed her concern. So we welcomed that and responded in the best way that we could. Uh, and for the most part, it was just really collegial and pleasant, and it was, a, it was a really productive conversation.
9: Well, I know a lot of women have viewed it and were very inspired by how brave you all were to get up there and say all that, and just that you covered so many aspects of this very well. So what was the reaction from women in the audience?
10: Most of the women in the audience were horrified to learn about how the prevailing trans ideology is erasing women and horrified to hear things like people are talking about how people can have female penises and we're not allowed in many sectors to say woman, we have to say uterus bearer and, you know, we're not allowed to talk about periods most of the women were really shocked and horrified to hear what was going on in terms of social media and how women are being silenced about the realities of being a female human being. And just to see how much second wave feminism has been walked back uh, is really troubling. I will say most of the women who spoke up in favor of what we were saying were themselves second wave feminists. So... We didn't hear much from any third-wave feminists. We really didn't receive much backlash or much questioning at all. Yeah, that
9: shocked me because I felt what you were saying was very radical, and to only have the one person call you transphobic was amazing, I thought. So thank you also for doing that. I really just thank you.
10: Oh, thank you for saying that. And, yeah, we were really pleasantly surprised that, we weren't abused.
9: <laughs> yeah, and I think that your surprise just really speaks to the silencing of women's free speech and the silencing of debate and the way that being critical of this movement is considered being phobic. Yeah.
2: Now we turn to a short clip from Kara Dansky's appearance on the Tucker Carlson show on Fox News on April 30th, 2021. As you will hear... She holds nothing back.
11: That's probably right. And I hope that we can get into this topic of sensitivity and also the topic of compassion, which I think arises a lot in this discussion. But if we're talking specifically on the issue of prisons, it came to my attention recently that there's a man who is accusing the state of georgia for being negligent and protecting him in a men's prison because he's claiming that he was raped by men in the men's prison now i want to be very clear here if that happened that is horrible and there's a federal law on the books called the prison rape elimination act and its goal is to eliminate rape in prison and if in fact this man was raped in a men's prison then he has every right to complain and to sue and to hold the Georgia prison officials accountable. Now, the difference here is that the man who is presenting this claim, quote unquote, identifies as a woman or claims to have, quote, transgender status. And that phrase, transgender status, has come to be in our public conversation quite frequently these days because in part of some things that the Biden administration has done. But what I wanna know is the Federal Department of Justice has weighed in on this man's case arguing that this man who was raped in a men's prison allegedly again if he did if he was then he has every right to complain about that but the answer is not to transfer him into a women's prison and the biden administration the justice department is arguing that he should and what i want to know is where is the justice department when it comes to a woman who was allegedly raped in a women's prison in the state of washington by a man who the state of Washington was housing in the women's prison on the basis of his so-called transgender status. I also want to know where's the Biden administration when it comes in to supporting a woman in an Illinois prison who was allegedly raped by a man who was being held in the women's prison on the basis of his transgender status. I would also like to know where's the Biden administration? Where's the Justice Department when it comes to the state of California and the literally 261 applications that came from male prisoners to be held in a California women's prison between January and March of this year. 261 between January and March of this year is approximately three a day applications filed by male prisoners to be held in women's prison on the basis of their so-called transgender status. This is a conversation that our country has not sufficiently had, and we need to have it. And so I'm very grateful to you for having me on tonight.
8: Beth Stelzer here from Save Women Sports, and I wanted to give a sisterly shout out to all of the volunteers at WLRN who have worked tirelessly for the last five years to bring us the latest news, information, music, and more. Here's to WLRN's five-year anniversary. Thank you all for your service to our growing community of women who are not going to let men invade our spaces. Yeah! Yeah!
12: Hello, this is Tracy beness I'm a signatory to the Declaration on Women's Sex-Based Rights, and I'm calling from Pennsylvania. I would like to wish WLRN a very happy anniversary. I appreciate all your totally excellent radical feminist coverage and commentary, and I especially loved your interviews with Gina Hawk and Sheila Jeffries. Thank you for the billboards in Milwaukee against the horrendously dystopian so-called Equality Act, and thank you for your unique blend of music, sisterhood, and truth. I look forward to enjoying WLRN for many years to come.
6: It has been a process for all of us to become more comfortable speaking out in favor of women's sex-based rights and protections over the years. In this next Blast from the Past, hear Ruth Barrett talk with WLRN about the release of the game-changing book Female Erasure in 2016. That book opened many people's eyes to the misogyny inherent in gender identity ideology and gave many women the courage to finally feel comfortable speaking about this topic.
7: So tell us about the book coming out, Female Erasure. and Why that title and why now? Well...
4: Coming up with a title for this project really was an evolution. Originally I think I had it as Beyond Gender. Um, that was one that I met with for quite a while and there was a subtitle to that. That honestly I can't remember at this point. But I, I came to feeling that we, I should just name it. And Name what is what has been happening around basically trans ideology and female in opposition to female embodiment and how that impacts women and as it impacts children especially with the huge industry that is now developed to uh, quote unquote support parents concerned about their children not fitting into uh, blue and uh, pink boxes and so. I felt that female erasure was dramatic, and dramatic because that's what's happening, it's dramatic. And the why now is because, um, because this is, it's what's happening now. Um, every day, uh, clearly, for listeners who are paying attention, there are laws being enacted, there are changes in policies around the naming of female realities and the dismissing of female realities. and where basically biology and sex, um, sex oppression is being relegated to the trash can. So that's a more candid way of saying it. I say it much more eloquently in, in the introduction and in other you know, printed uh, interviews, but I became very concerned because it's affecting me personally. It's affecting every, every person that I know, and people were afraid to talk about it.
7: I'm, I'm really actually excited to, uh, to read about it because when I first saw the project coming, in front of my view i I really felt compelled to to share it. Um, I was really excited to see who was uh, contributing and what the the topics people were going to be writing on was i mean i think I think this is going to be something very important that people need to pay attention to and so when I found that I'd be speaking to you i was um I was especially excited for that too. How many women wrote for the book, and how did you find them all
4: I think there's about 47 women who are writing for this project. And that, that, what that entails, for a few of them, it might be a piece of poetry, although there's less of, of poetry than, say, other essays. And I found them through, gosh, I would say uh, personal contacts, and this person knows this person, or I'm looking for someone who can write about this topic. Do you know anyone? Very grassroots. Very, really. Thought of it is that there's this web that's being woven, and between communities that are concerned about the issue. And so I, I paid attention to blogs as well. So there were there were definitely women that I contacted because wow, that was a really good piece. I wonder if she'll let me republish it. And so um, that's how that happened. And and then there were. There were definitely women that had published, for example, Sheila Jeffries, um, and I would not have originally thought that I could get a hold of her, for example, to be a contributor, and um, and I was able to, to do that because of attacks, you know, women who knew women and, and were willing to help me make a connection. I'm very thankful for that because I think that the project would not have been as powerful if it had been... I was in my insular world, which is not my tendency anyway, but I really wanted to reach out and make uh, wider connections.
7: Can you give us an example of what some of the topics covered are, uh, different pieces in the book, what they discuss? Sure,
4: absolutely. I have, well, I have six sections actually for the book. And I'm in the process of actually doing chapters. I have at this point. I have about 45 or 46 chapters. And the, and the sections, like one of the sections, is called Biological Erasure by Gender Ideology. And in that section, I really wanted to have pieces that were talking about that, that topic, Biological Erasure, and how that is showing up currently And so I have a number of writers. I mean, do you want, shall I name some
7: of them? Oh, sure. Go go for it. Oh,
4: okay. Well, I actually, I wanted to open with a piece written by Monica Shea and Barbara Moore. And these are two women who have passed. They passed in, uh, a few years back. And I actually am paying for the rights to republish this piece. But that was the opening chapter for a very powerful book called The Great Cosmic Mother. And that was from the late 1980s. But the topic was the first sex. In the beginning, we were all created female. And it's a very powerful piece to open, really open the project because it talks about physicality and sacred physicality as well, and um, how the body became basically other even from ourselves a disconnect between mind and body and there is a historical precedence for this and i wanted to show that by starting with this chapter that what is happening currently in, from my point of view is that the erasure and silencing of women with this whole gender identity ideology is simply a continuation not this is nothing new how I understand it. It has actually been going on for thousands of years from when patriarchy began enacting itself in ancient culture and religion. And that's my background. So I'm also a student of folklore, and I'm also involved with women's spirituality and feminist spirituality, to narrow it a little bit more. And so I wanted to start about, I wanted to talk about the issue in terms of a context, of a and context being a continuum of female erasure and silencing that can be traced from ancient times. And so when I look at it from this perspective, it makes perfect sense to me that it would be enacting itself in this way. But I did not expect it to enact itself the way it's come down. This, this kind of was like a huge sideswipe. But I wanted to honor these foremothers and women's spirituality by starting... The chapters with theirs, but also to set that context for from ancient times and then where we are going from here. So I take that leap then from that first chapter on the in the from the first sex in the beginning we were all created female to a fantastic piece written by Rachel Ivey. It's called "The End of Gender Revolution, Not Reform," and it goes on from there with uh, Kathy Scarborough and Elizabeth Hungerford and. Sheila Jeffries and wonderful, wonderful women who are in the educational system and or in the medical and mental health field. And that's all under this, this first uh, chapter on biological erasure by gender ideology. The last part of this section is actually an amazing piece written by Mary Calais and Jennifer Billick. And it's called, In the Absence of the Sacred, Marketing of Medical Transgenderism and the Survival of the Natural Child. It's an amazing piece. It's probably the longest piece in the book, talking about what, what this industry is doing to our, our children that don't fit neatly into a box, and the whole marketing, with terrible consequences to our children. And it's just kind of, you know, the people are going along with this, not allowed to question, and only given one option, which is medical
7: interventions for their children and so that's the first section well hi thistle this is stella a political cartoonist from bristol in england and uh thank you for that wonderful interview you did with me which uh, i I, was my favorite podcast i've done in the whole of last year and congratulations to wlrn um, I do love your little radio mask. I, even thinking about it makes me smile. And uh, I hope you have a great celebration. And, and it's been lovely getting to know you and, and contacting other people via WLRN. So thank you very much.
11: This is Coach Blade from Alberta, Canada, wishing WLRN Radio a very happy birthday number five. Thistle Pedersen, you are amazing you inspire us all with your musical talent, your enthusiasm, your tremendously interesting and inspiring interviews. We really enjoy it. We appreciate you. Wish you all the best of luck in the future. Long live WLRN Radio. And once again, happy birthday.
1: Next up, we'll hear a clip from an interview WLRN member Julia Beck did with lesbian heavy metal rocker, Otep Shamaya, in September of 2018. In this clip, you'll hear Otep citing a trans woman winning an election as a victory for women's rights. Well, Julia goes after that claim with grace and power, explaining the term TERF to Otep, and opening her eyes to the misogyny inherent within the idea that men can be women through an organic process of conversation that is challenging, but not too challenging. Listen.
3: And uh, I think we're seeing a movement happening now, which is wonderful to experience to be alive during this time, to uh, To see that happening. The largest march on D.C. ever was the Women's March. Uh, we've got more women running for elected office this year than I think we've ever had ever. There was an election that happened recently. The man uh, who wrote the anti-trans bathroom bill, because they didn't want transgender people going into the bathroom they uh, identified with. Well, he lost his election to a trans woman. I think her name's Danica Rome. So the times are changing and we're seeing it, but we can't get complacent and we can't stop now we've been pushing this boulder uphill and we got to keep going to the next peak.
13: It is interesting that you bring up Mr. Rowam because many people who acknowledge his sex as male are slandered and branded as TERFs simply because, you know, human sex is immutable. We can't change sex. So a lot of women who are speaking out against female erasure via the transgender movement, um, where men are claiming to be women and then taking resources designated for women, for female people, um, taking spaces in women's bathrooms. And many men have assaulted women in segregated sex spaces. And so Mr. Rollam is just a great example of the male erasure of women um, in politics. And I want to ask you, have you ever been called a TERF before? Because a lot of women have, and I have. I've never even heard that term before, no. Uh, It's it's an acronym. um, What what
3: does it stand for?
13: Well, let me just say it makes no sense. (laughs) Um, Okay. I, I would just like to preface this word with the fact that the transgender population is
4: comprised
13: of both female and male people. The female transgender people call themselves trans men, and male transgender people call themselves trans women. Correct. And when the word TERF is curled around, it's usually thrown at women, female people, who mm-hmm. acknowledge... Who say trans women are male, and who say trans men are female. So the word, the acronym, stands for transgender exterminatory or exclusionary radical feminist. And only one man who I know of has ever been called a turf, and that was Dave Chappelle.
3: <laughs> yeah. He had a rough time when he made that comeback on Netflix. He doesn't seem to be a fan of, of transgender people.
13: I. When you say transgender trans- people. Are you talking about the male or the female people? Because there is a difference.
3: How? Because trans women are are somehow invading women's spaces. I, I would like to, I would like to say that I I don't I I wouldn't call uh, Danica a he. Uh, when I was young, I was considered a tomboy. I was made fun of for all of that, but it didn 't stop me from climbing trees or playing tackle football in the street with my brothers and uh, other knuckleheads in the neighborhood. My opinion is this when it comes to um, uh, men who identify as women
13: is woman an identity
3: oh it 's a good that 's a good point um, I used to have a difficulty understanding why a transgender person wouldn 't just be happy being gay, why they needed to dress a certain way. And then I noticed that, well, I've got really short hair and I've got a fade, and I traditionally dress more masculine than most women. Uh, I don't consider myself a trans man, but I do defy gender roles in that particular way. I just don't see myself that way. I think that the transgender community is so small that it doesn't pose a threat to women advancing in this country. Uh, What I do see is when people celebrate a victory like the trans woman in Virginia had, I see that as we are getting closer to that idea again of America, that all are created equal. What do I care if someone decides that in their mind, they honestly feel like they were born in the wrong body? And that could be just the fact that their bodies generate more estrogen than than testosterone. But I've also run into men who are straight. They have wives, but they just feel powerful dressed as a woman, uh, or dressing as uh, what we consider what a woman should dress like. And this is when it gets really convoluted, right? Because what is a woman supposed to dress like? You know, long hair, a skirt. Well, in Scotland, they wear a kilt. Where does that end and begin? I don't think it's my place to say. It's really hard for transgender people to get jobs in this country and still live their what they believe is their authentic self. I'm more concerned about equality for all people and making sure that the people that are against equality for all people become fossils very fast.
13: Most of our listeners are lesbians and radical feminists, so would you like to say anything to them?
3: Well, I'm very honored to have the opportunity for you guys to listen to me rant and ramble, and we probably won't agree on certain things. Again, I identify as lesbian. I identify as a feminist. Uh, As far as the trans situation, which I think is something that is a really sore subject with a lot of people, uh, with a lot of lesbians and a lot of Feminist to understand that it's not my place to tell someone how to live their lives just the way it's not someone else's place to tell me how to live my life. I used to have a much different opinion about trans folk just because I didn't understand well what's wrong with being a lesbian and just being you and that's something that they struggle with for a long long time. I mean, you have children who are going to school, say young boys who just feel more comfortable with the the sort of, I guess, uh, the tenets of being a woman, whatever that is. Paint your fingernails. Is that feminine? Is that a woman to paint your fingernails? Um, and why is that? Who decided that? Or if he's more comfortable wearing heels, I'm more comfortable wearing high-top chucks, you know, which could be considered more masculine than, you know, what a lot of people that are not feminists would uh, associate with me or associate with a woman. You're supposed to, you know, have long hair and you wear makeup and you're supposed to act a certain way. I understand there are difficulties with certain trans folk who get extremely defensive. I had an altercation once where a uh, a trans woman told me that she was more woman than I was just because she was dressed in like a, like a dress with sequin dress. It was at an event at a gala and I'm not exactly even sure why this came up. And then uh, I was like, well, I guess if we're going by gender norms, you are because you've got a weave and you're wearing false eyelashes and you're wearing a dress and uh, three inch heels and I'm wearing jeans and sneakers. So if We're going by gender norms, and sure, you're more of a woman than I am, if that's the way we're going to do it. Uh, But uh, I I don't think any trans man or trans woman is setting out diabolically to steal something from women um, or from men, that they identify more uh, as a woman or identify more as a man. Uh, I don't see that as taking away anything from us, although... I do find that being a woman is very precious. I I believe it is. I believe it's very important. I believe that we are, in some regards, the stronger sex. And uh, I just think that it's important that we try to be as understanding as possible with the realization that not every lesbian is a great person, not every gay man is is a great person, not every trans person is a great person. I'm sure many people, many of your listeners might disagree with me and that's okay. No disrespect, that's just my opinion. Well, thank you so much.
13: Um, well, thank
3: you. I really appreciate it. And thanks for the, you know, I, I do a lot of these, and I don't often get questions where I have to think. It's usually just canned answers. What's it like being a woman in a metal band? Well, what do you think it's like? You know, it's like being a woman in any occupation. You know, so this was a, a really nice interview and really great discourse with you. I appreciate it very much.
13: Anytime. And I mean that. Anytime.
3: Yep. Yeah. I'm open, let me know. Mm
6: Just heard an extended interview with Otep Shamaya, leader of the metal band Otep, the very first female fronted band to headline Ozfest, a touring heavy metal festival. Otep uses her music to bring awareness to injustice. She quite literally speaks up for women, immigrants, and animals. Her genre, like many others, is dominated by men whose misogynist products are created with no one but other males in mind. Otep breaks that barrier. I had so much fun speaking with her about her experiences in the music industry as an out-and-proud lesbian. Her new album, Cult 45, is available now. This is Julia Beck. Thank you for listening.
0: With the fury that, he was a body remover.
6: that was Julia Beck interviewing lesbian rocker Otep Shemaya in 2018. To hear the full interview from 2018, go to womensliberationradionews.com and type Otep, that's O-T-E-P, into the search bar.
8: Hi, this is Mary-Kate Fain from 4W and Spinster. I want to wish WLRN a very happy five year anniversary. Congratulations to all the women who do this tireless work behind the scenes to bring us radical feminist news, music, commentary, interviews on issues that matter to us day to day. I always look forward to hearing the latest on WLRN and look forward to the next five years of feminist radio.
6: The final clip we are going to feature today in our five year anniversary edition comes from edition 55, a feminist analysis of Christianity. This clip is of an original poem by WLRN member Emily Ann Lorenzen. WLRN has not only been a platform for women's news and analysis, but we also feature women's music and artful creations to keep us inspired as we keep on keeping on in the femisphere. Thanks for tuning in to our five year anniversary edition. Enjoy the poem.
2: Great Fall. Beneath the peach tree, Lilith cradles Eve in her serpent tail, lulling her with pleasure hymns. Lilith's smooth scales soothe Eve's memory of her original lover, the serpent phallus squashed by Adam's boredom with beasts. Lilith massages Eve's devil's teeth. Eve moans and bites Lilith's peach, juice dripping down her breast through shallow breaths. Lilith makes Eve reach death, revealing that she does not need the tree of knowledge. Lilith and Eve leave Eden while Adam weeps into wool.
1: Across the femisphere. To women worldwide. Worldwide. To women worldwide. Radical feminist media.
5: To break the sound barrier. Break the sound barrier. Break
6: the sound barrier. Break the sound barrier. Radical feminist media. To
5: break the sound barrier.
14: This is your. 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 Grassroots community radio station.
1: Your radio station. Grassroots. This is your. Grassroots community radio station.
5: Women's Liberation Radio Radio News. News.
14: It's been five years since the WLRN podcast came into being, and I've been with The Collective almost as long. When I joined WLRN, I was still fairly new to radical feminism, but I was already passionate about the path and wanted to find some way to contribute to the movement meaningfully. I wanted to do something more than chat with other women online about feminist politics. Consciousness raising is tremendously important, but I knew even early on in my feminist journey, that I wanted to go beyond that foundational step. I was fortunate to be accepted into WLRN, and I believe the entire collective has made significant contributions to radical feminist activism over the last five years. I've grown politically alongside the podcast and the collective, and some of that growth resulted from my participation in WLRN's work. I've had to think, reflect, and educate myself further on women's experiences in order to create my commentaries. I've had the privilege of interviewing a handful of women for the podcast who had so much to offer in conversation about a wide range of feminist topics. I've also seen how feminists work together on a political project like this, month after month, and how we have to manage our relationships with each other in this professional, creative, activist context the same way we do it in any other. WLRN has survived a lot, and despite everything that's challenged our collective, both internally and externally, we're still here on this five-year anniversary. That's an accomplishment all by itself, one that serves as a good example to me of persistence and dedication to the feminist cause. Those of us who have stuck with WLRN for several months or years have done so because we care about women and girls, and about spreading radical feminist thought as much as we can. I'm proud of how much we care. If you're listening to this, and if you've been following WLRN's podcast for any length of time, I hope you've found our work valuable personally and politically. Thanks for your support. Your positive comments, donations, and spreading the word about our little feminist project has kept us going these five years, and motivates us to make it another five
13: This is The Deprogrammer, and I listen to Women's Liberation Radio News.
1: Thanks for listening to WLRN's 61st edition podcast in celebration of our five-year anniversary. Thanks to all of WLRN's volunteers and collective members who have made WLRN what we are today. This is April Noe, signing off.
12: It is with great pleasure and a sense of triumph against the odds that I am here today with you celebrating five years of feminist powered radio, WLRN. The shout outs we got from listeners and fellow feminist activists and artists really lifts my spirit. Thank you so much. Together we are much more powerful than any one of us as an individual. WLRN represents our common cause as women. Here's to our feminist Hive Mind swarming the Femisphere to keep us strong. Be proud to be part of the WLRN Hive Mind and order your five-year anniversary merch at www.womensliberationradionews.com. In addition, we are always looking for new volunteers to conduct interviews, write blog posts, do audio editing post to our Facebook and other social media pages, and do other tasks to keep us moving forward as a collective of media activist women. Just email info at womensliberationradionews.com to inquire about volunteering. Thanks for listening. This is Thistle Petterson. Over and out.
14: And I'm Sekhmet Sheowl. Thanks for tuning in. Next month, we'll focus our program on detransitioning women. Our handcrafted podcast episodes always come out the first Thursday of the month. So look for edition 62 on Thursday, June 3rd. If you'd like to receive our newsletter that notifies you when each podcast episode, music show, and interview are released, please sign up on the WLRN website. Until next time, stay radical.
6: This is Mara signing off on another edition of WLRN's monthly handcrafted podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Spenster, Overit, and SoundCloud in addition to our WordPress site. Thanks for listening. And this is Jenna DeQuardo. Our monthly podcasts are always crafted with tender, loving care and in solidarity with women worldwide. Thank you for five years of support, dear sisters. We would love to hear from you, so please comment, like, and share widely.
0: For the patriarchal kiss How will we find what needs to be shown And then after that Where is home? Home. Tell me, where is my home?